was at a luncheon on Friday, and I was sitting with people I didn't know. Um, one guy I knew, but there were everybody else at the table was new to me, and so it was interesting to me. We introduced ourselves, or at least I introduced myself to this one guy, and the first question out of the gate he asks is, do you ever deal with depression after the holidays? Which is really interesting to me, because that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. There's a resetting of our emotions after an emotional time. And so holidays have this tendency to uh, over-promise and under-deliver. If you've watched any Hallmark movie, you know what you're supposed to do at, at Christmas. Everybody is supposed to get along, and you get married. And uh, if you're married and you're having struggles, that all gets better, and nothing goes wrong, and everybody gets along, and everybody gets a puppy. And uh, so uh, we find out that holidays rarely live up to the expectations. And so... Uh, Actually, Christmas time is one of the most stressful times of the year. Um, it's ecstasy and it's agony. For some people, um, like my daughter got engaged, and there's that stuff that goes on. But there's also the difficulty of, of, of being in a holiday where the person that you love isn't there anymore. And so for some people, they've lost a parent or they've lost a spouse. And it can be a really, really difficult time. Now... Um, we sort of make it out to be something that it can't be. I read this story about a guy, and he got this special Christmas gift, and I thought I would read it to you. Uh, he says, For Christmas, my wife purchased me a week of lessons at a private health club. Day one, I called and made an appointment with someone named Tanya, a 26-year-old aerobics instructor and athletics clothing model. My wife seemed very pleased how enthusiastic I was to get started. They suggest I keep this exercise diary to chart my progress this week. I started this morning at 6 a.m. It was tough to get up, but worth it when I arrived at the health club and Tanya was waiting for me. She's something of a goddess with long blonde hair and dazzling white smile. She showed me the machines and took my pulse after five minutes on the treadmill. She seemed alarmed that it was so high. I think standing next to her added ten points. Tanya was very encouraging as I did my sit-ups, though my gut was already aching a little bit from holding it in the whole time I was talking to her. This is going to be great. Day two. Took a whole pot of coffee to get me out the door, but, it, but I made it. Tanya had me lie on my back and push this heavy uh, metal bar into the air. Then she put weights on it. Legs were a little wobbly on the treadmill, but I made it the full mile. Her smile made it worth it all. Muscles feel great. Day three, the only way I can brush my teeth is to lay the toothbrush on the counter and move my mouth back and forth. <laughs> Driving was okay as long as I didn't try to steer. Tanya was a little impatient with me today and said my screaming was bothering the other club members. Day four, Tanya was waiting for me with her vampire teeth and full snarl. I can't help it if I was a half hour late. It took me that long to tie my shoes. I hid in the men's room until she sent Lars in after me. Day five, I hate Tanya more than any human being has ever hated another human being in the history of the world. If there were any part of my body that was not in extreme pain, I would hit her with it. She thought today would be a good day to work on my triceps. Well, I've got news for you, Tanya. I don't have triceps. And if you don't want dents in your floor, I wouldn't hand me those barbells. Day six, got Tanya's message on my answering machine, wondering where I am. I lacked the strength to even use the TV remote, and I, I've watched 11 straight hours of the Weather Channel. <laughs> Day seven. Well, that's the week. Thank the Lord it's over. Maybe next time my wife will give me something a little more fun, like a root canal or a kidney stone. 
So it just goes to show sometimes it's not as good as we had hoped it was going to be. By the way, I have a great slide, uh, and I, I forgot to put it up. The, the point is this. Holidays magnify emotions. Like I say, some people are in ecstasy, some people are in agony. And there's this reality that after the, the holidays are over, there is a tendency for some for depression to set in. In fact, uh, I looked at some statistics this week. Depression is an issue all over America, not just after the holidays. 17.5 million Americans every year have some level of depression. Um, Minrith and Meyer say that one in ten individuals in this room, if you will, uh, suffer with depression. And here's a, st- a statistic that's going to make you really uh, depressed. Um, the more money you make, the more likely you are to be depressed. And so, uh, gosh, that sort of seems uh, anti-intuitive. It's no respecter of person. Rich, poor, uh, red, yellow, black, white, fast or slow. Great people have suffered with it. People like Tolstoy and Churchill and Lincoln and godly people have struggled with depression. People like Job and Elijah and Jeremiah. And we see it in Scripture. And think about Christmas. We've bought these gifts and they've all been given. And by now, most of us have put away our Christmas tree and the ornaments and the lights and all the people that came in for Christmas have gone back home. And now we have to deal with the reality that in just a couple of months or in about a month, the credit card bill is going to come due. And, and all these things combined can, can cause you to be a bit depressed. So today we're going to look at a guy named Elijah. It's in 1 Kings 18 and 19, and that's where we're going to be. And um, it's sort of probably 8th, 9th, 10th verse, uh, tenth chapter or 10th book of the, of the Old Testament. So you can find it, 1 first, uh, first, uh, Kings 18 and 19 is where we're going to be. Now a couple of disclaimers before we get started. For some people, depression is more of a chemical issue. And while the truth of Scripture is helpful, you might need more. And so understand that for some people, the, the Bible is always great and it's always helpful. But for some people, it, biology says that they might need a little bit more. There's also some people that will not need this and will never need this because they're just happy-go-lucky. Nothing ever seems to phase them. It's like a guy that was, uh, he was at a, a church back in East Tennessee, one of those hellfire and brimstone churches, and they had a guest preacher that day, and he was getting after it. And in the sermon, someplace in the sermon, he sort of yells out, it won't be long before everyone around here is going to be dead. And everybody got real hushed except one old boy in the back, and he started laughing. Well, this made the preacher really mad. So he thought, well, maybe he didn't hear it right. So he yells it again. I said, won't be long before everybody around here is going to be dead. Everybody's hushed. I mean, they're even more in shock, except the old boy in the back. And he's laughing out loud now, which made the pastor even matter. So he steps out from around the pulpit, and he says, boy, did you hear what I said? I said, ain't going to be long before everyone around here is going to be dead. And the guy stands up and said, I ain't from around here. Uh, so... <laughs> Some people are just like that, and they get along, and it's okay. But for the rest of us, who might struggle a bit with depression, especially this time of year, Elijah is going to be our case study. Now, understand kind of the context of, these te- of this text. Um, Elijah was a prophet of God. He wasn't the only one, but he was the most outspoken one. Uh, Israel was the nation uh, they had committed to serving God, except sometimes they had kings who would lead them in the wrong direction. 
In this particular era, when Elijah was alive, the king was Ahab, and he led them in the wrong direction. And his wife, Jezebel, by the way, you never hear anybody name their kid Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel was his wife, and as wicked as Ahab was, Jezebel was more so. And they sponsored the worship of idols. Uh, a couple of entities back then that they worshipped were Baal, I heard one guy call it Baal one time, but Baal, B-A-A-L, and Astra. And these were gods of fertility, and the way you worshipped them was through illicit sexual acts. And it was abhorrent to God, and it was distasteful, and it was worshipping someone other than God. And Elijah called them out on it. By the way, Elijah did not get invited to any of the Christmas parties of Ahab and Jezebel. And so, this is, what, this is where we find ourselves in 1 King 18. This is Elijah speaking to Ahab. Uh, You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel. So there's kind of this meeting place, this this high place, which is uh, typical uh, in that time. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And what this says to us is Jezebel was sponsoring. They were paying for these false prophets to have a livelihood. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? <laughs> I mean, Elijah, the thing about prophets is they're kind of curt. They, they're, they're brusque. They just sort of they speak it. They don't couch it in anything. How long are you all going uh, to waver back and forth? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But look at the state of the people. But the people said nothing. Now, Elijah feels like he's on an island. And so he issues this challenge. You have 850 false prophets and Elijah. And this is the challenge he issues. Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. I challenge you. You guys, you build an altar. You put wood on your altar. You put a sacrifice on your altar, and you pray to your gods, and pray that your gods will consume the sacrifice. And I'll do the same. I'll, I'll build my altar, I'll put wood on my altar, I'll put the animal sacrifice on the altar, and I'll pray to God, and, and may the best God win. This is the challenge. You guys pray to your gods, and I'm going to pray to my God, and we're going to see which God is real. It's a great challenge. And so... Uh, the, the false prophets, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they go first. So they build their altar, and they put the wood on there, and they put the animal sacrifice on there, and they begin to pray. Now, I, I love sports. I love it a lot. And one of the things I really like about sports is when somebody talks smack, only if they're on my team, uh, if somebody I like. I like my guys to talk smack, and when your guys talk smack, they're chumps. But I like it. I love Elijah because he talks smack. This is beautiful. You all didn't even know this was in the Bible. Look at this. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. <laughs> it's great. Uh, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought, <laughs> or he's relieving himself. He's at the porta potty. I mean, it's kind of what he's over, he's at the porta potty. Or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And what happens in sports, oftentimes, when somebody talks smack, the other people get annoyed. 
Because that's the point. The point is to irritate your opponent so that they make a mistake. So now the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, they are, they're getting it. And Elijah's mocking them and everybody's listening and the crowd is listening. And so they pray harder and they dance more fervently. And it says they throw dust in the air and they cut themselves and they do all these things and nothing happens because those aren't real gods. The Bible tells us next that Elijah, he sets up his altar and he puts the wood on his altar and he puts the the animal sacrifice on his altar. And then he makes it even more difficult for himself. And he says, okay, um, why don't we put water, let's put some water on this sacrifice. Because if there's anything that's going to make it more difficult, uh, we're hoping that God puts fire on this to consume it. Well, let's put water on it and make it even more difficult. And they dug a trench around it, and they put water so much so that it filled the trench. Now, you get the picture, right? These guys have done everything they know to do to try to get their gods to respond in nothing. And here is Elijah, and he has done really nothing so far other than make it difficult for his God. And then this happens. Then the fire of the Lord, Elijah prays, and the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, and it burned up the wood, and it burned up the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And there is this amazing victory. Elijah, one man taking on 850. This is like something you see in an epic movie. One against 850, and one wins. And it is a, the odds are 850 to 1, and he wins. It is, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And not only that, the contest was over, but really the events of the day weren't over because there had been a famine in the land for over three years. There had been no rain, and Elijah had predicted this, and that had made Ahab and Jezebel very mad. And when there was no rain, they blamed it on Elijah, although it was God's fault, if you think about it. But they had blamed Elijah, and Elijah says to Ahab, who has watched this whole series of events, He says to Ahab, by the way, if I'm Ahab and I see that happen, I'm probably going to say, you know, these probably aren't gods, this is a god. That's not what happened, by the way. Sometimes the evidence can be crystal clear in front of us and we still still just choose to do what we want to do. So, Elijah says to Ahab, dude, it's going to rain. It hadn't rained in years. It's going to rain. And it wasn't going to be just a trickle rain. It was going to be a rain like last night rain. Windy rain, big rain. And, and so he said, you better get in your chariot and get home. He lived in Jezreel. You better get to Jezreel because it's about to start raining. And sure enough, it did. Now, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. The, the heavy rain came on Ahab. And he rode off to Jezreel, his home. Now, this is interesting. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Because he wouldn't be able to do this in his own strength. And and the, the authors of this scripture want you to know, listen, this wasn't his own thing. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, because they wore robes, they wanted to tuck it in, because you can't hardly run in a dress, evidently. Uh, He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, 18 miles. Uh, Time out. A dude in a dress outruns a chariot. This is what the story is saying. Elijah, with the power of God, 
has come upon him, and he is able to outrun a chariot. Now, you would think from what Ahab had seen, what Elijah had done that day, that this would have been the greatest day in Elijah's life. How could it not be? He had just taken on 850 false prophets and won. He had just outrun a chariot 18 miles. These are remarkable, unbelievable, spectacular things that have happened in his life. If there was ever a moment in his life to celebrate, it's then. You want to know how long this celebration lasts? It lasts till he gets down the hill to Jezreel. Because as soon as Ahab gets home, he goes into Jezebel and he said, you will not believe what happened today. Your 850 prophets, they lost and now they're dead. And Jezebel was not happy. Y'all have heard this, haven't you? When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Jezebel was not happy. And she said something to the effect of, may I be cursed to death if by the end of the day, Elijah isn't also dead. And she put a contract out on his life. It, it, it almost reads like a movie script, doesn't it? She puts a contract out on his life, and, and Elijah hears about it. Now, if I'm Elijah, well, I don't know, I would do this, but if you are Elijah, because you're, you know, you're better than me, but if you're Elijah, and you've just witnessed this 850 to 1 victory, and you've just outrun horses, then you would say, Jezebel ain't got nothing. Yeah, not so much. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Because 850 prophets didn't have anything on Jezebel, evidently. And he was afraid for his life. And he went, he sent himself, he himself went a day's journey into the desert because he's hoping to hide. And he gets under a broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. If we were right to write a headline, it would be King of the Hill is now down in the dumps. I mean, the guy has just won everything. And yet, he's threatened and he's afraid. And this is what happens. Sometimes there's a, a moment of victory which is preceded immediately by a moment of defeat. So what do you do when the blues hit? Especially in times like this. Well, the first thing is you have to anticipate potential problems. There are times when we're more susceptible than others to depression. It just is. It just is. There are times. And if we understand it, information is great for us. If I have the information to know, hey, here are times when depression is most likely to hit, that helps me not to get as depressed. The first one is um, through fatigue. He had just run this 18 miles. By the way, uh, runners tell me, and I'm not a runner, but people who run marathons and things say that if you get to about the 18 to 20 mile mark in a run on a marathon, they, something happens called hitting the wall. Or, or runners say, the, you know, you don't hit the wall, the wall hits you. It's like you can't go anymore. And this is exactly what had happened to Elijah. Now, when we're tired, a little fatigue, I don't know for you, but a little fatigue for me can go a long way. And and. Have you ever, have any of you ever, you've, said, you've heard words come out of your mouth that you know you didn't want to say, but you said them anyway? Anybody else ever do that? Oh, some people are honest, and then there's a bunch of liars. Okay, it's okay. Sometimes, for me, 
I have, I have, I can hear it coming out of my mouth. I hear it, so I know it's happening. I just know normally I wouldn't say that. And when I assess what's just happened, almost every time I say something I know I shouldn't say, it's because I'm tired. When I get annoyed, like too, too annoyed with some little thing, I mean something, something not worthy of annoyance, sometimes you get triggered a little, just a little bit. And, and, and I'll notice when I get that way, when I say stuff, when I'm more harsh than I intended to, or when I'm more harsh than normal, Almost always it's because I have uh, physical fatigue. Well, So that's a lot of times it causes or aids into depression. A second thing is called post-adrenaline letdown. It's the after the high low. You see it all the time in life. A woman will have a baby and then she'll have postpartum depression. Uh, in athletics, you have an underdog defeats a champion... You know, the number one team, some underdog, some chump, some nobody defeats the number one team in the country. And the very next game, they get drilled by some nobody because it's the after the high low. You, you get kind of full of yourself, maybe, or, or you think you're better than you are, and you drop your guard, and this just seems to happen. It happens to preachers, by the way, on Sunday afternoons. Um, people will ask me, why don't you take Monday off? I don't want to feel that bad on my day off. Sundays are draining for me. I mean, I love to preach and I love to hang out with you guys, but on Sunday afternoon, I need I have to recharge and it really probably takes me about a day to get over Sunday. Just just honestly. And so, we experience these kinds of things. Then there's the the idea of prolonged constant pressure. Think about Elijah. He had the conflict with the 850 prophets. He had the Incident where he runs, he's got a contract out on his life. This all happens in one day. Um, pressure, pressure-filled days have a tendency to push us down. And you know what it looks like. You're committed to living a godly life, and you're doing really good, and all of a sudden something comes, and it trips you up. Or you're committed to having a better marriage, and you guys are doing pretty good, but all of a sudden you're tired, and you say something you shouldn't say, and she says something she shouldn't say, and before you know it, you kind of step back, even though you're trying to do right. Or you've committed to get out from a mountain of debt, and, and it's going to be uh, good for you, and you're doing really good, but then there's an unexpected uh, you know, car problem or a, a health issue, and, and you've got a bill that you didn't anticipate, and you were getting ahead, and now you're further behind than you ever thought you were going to be. And when there are lots of pressures, little setbacks can seem overwhelming. I heard somebody say it like this, shadows always look longer when the sun's going down. And Elijah has all this pressure mounting and to think that somebody was, uh, had a contract on your life, that is pressuresome. And to Elijah, Jezebel sounded like and looked like a giant. Shadows are always longer just before the sun goes down. Something else, he was all alone. He does these things all by himself. It's one on 850. He outruns by himself. He goes into the desert by himself. Loneliness can be crippling to people. We're going to talk about the the antidote in just a bit, but loneliness is crippling. There's a reason that prisons put people in solitary confinement, because it's brutal to not be with other people. Ask the soldier who's miles away from home. Ask the divorcee who spends her first Christmas without her spouse. Ask uh, someone who's just lost a loved one what it's like on the holidays. Loneliness is depressing. So the first thing is, 
we have to kind of realize there are certain triggers that are going to cause depression. The second thing is we have to keep a proper perspective on the past. Now, Elijah, yes, was facing difficulties, but he'd been facing difficulties. When he predicted that there was going to be a drought, he lived through it too. I mean, he's been living with these pressures. However, if he were to just sit down for a second and think, because a lot of times what you need to do is just pause and think, he could have seen how God had been using him, had been with him all these times. When, when there was this drought and there was no food, there's a time, the Bible tells us, that ravens bought, brought, by the way, how about those ravens last night? Uh, ravens. Um, I don't like them because their quarterback played for Louisville. Okay, all right, so, and I'm from Kentucky. All right, so, way to go, Titans, or whoever plays Lamar Jackson. Anyway, um, Ravens brought him food at one time. There was a time where he was really hungry, and everybody was about to starve, and he meets this widow woman, and she has just enough meal and oil to make a last little loaf of bread, and then she says, you know, my son and I are going to eat this, and then we're going to die because we have nothing else in the house. And Elijah says, okay, give me some first, and then feed yourself. And she had faith, and she did it. It's a great story. And for the rest of the drought, she had a, a supply. God provided for her. Elijah had seen God's provision. God provided when he was alone in the desert and needed food. God provided through this widow. God provided when it was 850 to 1. He had just seen that. God provided this amazing strength and this ability to outrun a chariot. It's not as if there wasn't a history that Elijah could look at and say, you know, God has always let me down. Well, no, he hadn't. Look, he, he provided here, and he provided here, and he provided here, and he provided here. And if that's the pattern in your life, one could assume, maybe presume, God's going to continue to provide because he's always provided. God is with us. His hand is everywhere. Look at what happens next. All at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there was, uh, by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. God continues to provide. He provides for us. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. He, fell, he ate and drank, and then went, he uh, lay back down and went back to sleep. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey. It's too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. God's provision, his fingerprints are all over our lives. We just have to look for them. Have you ever noticed if you buy a car that you've never owned before, you start to see that car more often? Uh, uh, my buddy, uh, back a long time ago, he, he bought a, a Chrysler Cordoba with rich Corinthian leather. Some of you are old enough to remember that commercial. Um, the Chrysler Cordoba with rich Corinthian leather. And I had never seen a Chrysler Cordoba. And Terry, my buddy, bought one, and we were riding around in it. And then all of a sudden, there are like 100 Chrysler Cordobas all over the place. You, you see what you look for. And sometimes we have to look to see what God has been doing. 
And then we have to be thankful. Look at this verse. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, mostly because gratitude will affect your attitude. If you start thanking God for his provision in the past, you can, you can see how he's been walking with you and guiding you, and it's going to be okay. Third thing, you have to be proactive in the present. Elijah did some things, maybe just by default, but they helped him greatly. The first one is he got some rest. He got some rest. This is a great time to tell you type A driven people that God didn't condemn Elijah for resting. In a society and in a world where we're constantly checking our text messages, where the first thing you do when you wake up is look at your phone to see if you've missed anything, in a, uh, where we are saturated with information, you have to understand the key to longevity, the key to, to finishing a long race, is pace. Don't go out too fast. Don't do too much. Sometimes the best thing you can do is rest and not feel guilty about it. Now, if you're lazy... I'm not talking about that. But if you're overwhelmed and you're tired, then just take a break. And that's what Elijah did. The second thing was he connected. During depression, one of the most difficult things and one of the things that happens is you feel like you're all alone. Elijah was complaining to God. I'm the only one out here doing anything. You ever felt like that? You're at your house and you're like you're the only one working and nobody else. I'm the only one in here doing it. I'm the only one cooking. I'm the only one cleaning. I'm the only one doing anything. I know it's none of y'all, but uh, you've heard of people like this. Um, I'm the only one doing anything. So Elijah was giving God the I'm the only one doing anything. And, and Elijah, I mean, God's response, uh, I have 7,000 people who, uh, in Israel who have never bowed before Baal and have never uh, kissed his idol. You, you're not, it's not just you, buddy. I, I mean, I like that God was plain and truthful and it was like I ain't, ain't nobody I'm the only one out here doing anything well no you're not and, and when you're going through depression you're not the only one out there doing anything here's what I love about church church is a place to make these connections where we can help each other that's why I like being in a small group I like to be in big groups like this and talk and do those things and learn but I also like to be in a small group where we can talk because if I'm going through this thing right here and you've already gone through this thing right here, that helps me know how to get through this thing right here. I, uh, we're struggling financially. Well, we used to struggle financially, and these are the things that we did to get out of that. And sometimes you need somebody who has walked the path already to help you know what to do. Elijah also reconnected with God. He felt all alone and all by himself, and then he realized God was with him. And then sometimes you have to just get back in the game. Self-absorbed people are rarely happy, and really they're not happy for long. Now here's the trick with this. When I'm depressed, I don't feel like I have much to offer. But I, I love this quote. We can easily be too big for God, but we are never too, God, never, never too small for God to use. Sometimes we get all kind of full of ourselves and think God's, uh, we're doing God a favor, but find some place to serve. If we're constantly thinking about ourselves, we have a tendency to degenerate into depression. So think about somebody other than yourself. And finally, stay positive about the future. You choose how you look at life. You can look at it positively or negatively. It reminds me of the story of an old man. He was at a baseball game and a young man comes and sits down beside him and he says, excuse me, sir, can you tell me the time? 
and the old man just ignores him. A couple minutes later, the young man says again, excuse me, sir, can you tell me the time? He says it a little louder. He thought maybe he couldn't hear the first time. The old man ignores him again. The third time, the young man kind of taps him on the shoulder and says, excuse me, sir, I'm just asking for the time. Have I done something to offend you? You seem like you're offended. And the old man said, well, I kind of am offended because here's how I know this is going to go. You're asking me the time and I'll give it to you and then we'll start a conversation. And we'll like each other and these are season tickets. And so we're going to spend a lot of time together. And we're going to develop a friendship and I can see that coming. And then I'm going to invite you over to the house for dinner. And you're going to meet my daughter and she's lovely. And you all will probably start talking and maybe you'll start dating. And it's likely that you're going to fall in love with one another and get married. And I'll be, I'll be dipped if I'm going to have a son-in-law who doesn't own a watch. So how are you going to look at things? Really, it's how are you going to look at things? I want to end with a couple of verses because we all need to be encouraged that God is with us even when it seems dark. And some of, Here's what I... I've been a preacher long enough to understand this. Everybody's in a season. You're either in a downtime, you're in an uptime, or you're in between. And if you're in an uptime, that's great. But understand, usually uptimes are followed by downtimes, which are then followed by uptimes. That's kind of how it works. Life is like that. And I love these verses in Thessalonians that say, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father encourage you. So it's like a prayer. May God encourage you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. God loved us. And we could change it to God loves us. And through His grace, He gave us a good hope and encouragement that continues forever. Yeah, the holidays are over, but God has something great in store for you this year. God God is going to use you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with you every step of the way, even if the journey is difficult. I love the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. There's no place you can go where God's not there. Lord, thank you for this truth. We love you. We, we're encouraged by the message of Elijah to us. Help us to not live in depression or sadness, but help us to be people who are encouraged by you and through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.